Welcome to episode 32 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, the top five reasons not to sweat it on the trail. Then on the Summit Gear Review, we'll show you a pair of pants that will stand up to unexpected rainstorms and puddle jumps. On the Backpack Hack of the Week, we'll introduce you to the classics, and we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from a guy who does not live in a hole in the ground filled with the ends of worms and an oozy smell, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. All this, and that's about it, today on The First 40 Miles. So for most of my teenage years, I was involved in some way or another with church sports. You know, we had this little basketball team, and we then had a little volleyball team, and we would play other congregations within our church, and it was you know, all in good fun. I think during my whole church sports career, I probably made one basket. I think I maybe hit the volleyball just a handful of times. (laughs) I was mostly ducking the ball and trying to avoid any contact with any ball. It was just kind of petrifying. So So the success of your uh, sporting career was measured by your ability to avoid touching the ball. Exactly. I guess I did awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Way to go. Way to achieve. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I remember the first time I did make a basket, I got lots of hugs and lots of pats on the back saying, good job, Heather. You did a great job. You did it. You did it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, My sporting career was not much different. I think Kind of like your family. Uh, my family just wasn't into sports. Like we never watched sports. We never did sports. So once in a while we'd like hit a baseball around or, you know, throw a football or throw a frisbee. So it just wasn't a part of my childhood to be involved in really any kind of sports. I was really active, but not in sports. And so, you know, it's been a little bit the same way with our kids, uh, just because we didn't really grow up in sports. Our kids have done a few things. Uh, you know, one of them did soccer when he was, what, three or four years old? Yeah. Yeah. And he just stood there, <laughs> you know, like the rest of the boys were in this pack following the ball and he was talking to someone. <laughs> so he was more of a distraction than anything else. <laughs> and uh, but we do have one son in cross country and track and he really enjoys what he's doing there. Um, so that's fun to see. One thing I that's kind of interesting to me is, you know, when you're in high school, high school world is so different from the adult world in terms of what you think is important and what you think matters. And and so when you're in high school, you think that the only way to be popular is to be in sports. Like that's what all the popular kids do. And that those are the successful kids, the ones that are involved in the, in these sports and activities. And then you leave high school and a few years or decades go by and you look back at people's lives and you realize that what they did in high school doesn't necessarily have a strong correlation to their success or happiness in later on in life. And one of those areas is with uh, fitness. 
Some kids who were involved in sports were also naturally active, and they had a habit of being active. And so they grow up, and throughout their life, they continue to be active. Others who were involved in sports, once high school was over, they didn't know how to stay active. I mean, they didn't have a dozen other people around them to involve them in a basketball game or a football game or a baseball game. And so they didn't know how to be active without those, um, the structure that the sports provided. And, you know, and their, their health declines as they become older. Some people who were not involved in sports at all, like myself, well, again, some of us were active and stayed active throughout our lives. And others were never active to begin with. And again, health declines as they move through life. Yeah, well, one of the questions I've had um, is, does athleticism transfer to the trail? And then is non-athleticism a reason to stay off the trail? Is there a certain type of person that will have more success on the trail? If you've been an athlete your whole life and you've never tried backpacking, are there natural advantages or are there surprising disadvantages? Well, I found this really great quote about athleticism by Vern Gambetta, and he says, Athleticism is the ability to execute athletic movements at optimum speed with precision, style, and grace in the context of the sport or activity. It is easy to see when someone has it. Well, I wanted to break down this quote and figure out how it applies to backpacking. This quote talks about being able to execute athletic movements at optimum speed. Now, what is optimum speed when you're backpacking? Maybe the optimum speed isn't the speed that gets you there the quickest, but it's the one that gets you there without injury, the one that helps you to enjoy the experience. I mean, maybe sometimes you are going for speed, but sometimes going one mile per hour down the side and up the other side of a craggy mountain is going to be the optimum speed. Yeah, since it's the safer speed. I guess you could also say there's probably a most efficient speed, that if you're moving slower than that or faster than that, you're burning more energy to get the same distance. Yeah, it's an interesting thought, executing athletic movements at an optimum speed. And then how do you execute those movements with precision? What kind of precision is required when you're backpacking? When I was a kid, I always thought about my foot placement. To me, that was precision, like to recognize that my brain was making all these minute calculations to decide where each foot would go. And then a lot of people also put a lot of thought into where things go in their pack. There's a lot of thought that goes into where you put the heaviest items in your pack and where you put the lightest items and how your pack is best distributed. And then how do we see style on the trail? How do you execute your athletic movements with style? To me, this is most obvious when Josh and I backpack together because we have totally different styles. And that comes out in the goals that we have, the different skills that we've acquired, and even the gear that we choose to bring. All of that, I think, kind of plays into our own backpacking style. And everyone's going to have a different style on the trail. Yeah, I guess I am style conscious now that I think about it. Like for me, one of the stylistic things is that I have nothing hanging on the outside of my pack. It's all like this one very smooth blob <laughs> on the outside. <laughs> it all looks so neatly packaged. Is that style? <laughs> I think that's part of style. It can be exterior, it can be interior, kind of the, the goals that you have or your philosophy on the trail. 
I think that's all part of style. Hmm. Yeah. And then being able to execute athletic movements with grace in the context of your sport or activity. To me, that just means the way that you go down the trail, the way you look, your balance, your gait, your stride, kind of your foot placement like you were talking about. Even the weight that you carry on your back affects the grace that you exhibit on the trail, whether you're lumbering down the trail Uh or whether you are just buoyant and uh, floating down the trail. Yes, this is like the backpacker that would show up on the cover of a magazine (laughs) compared to the backpacker that wouldn't, you know. Maybe. (laughs) There's that certain poise or whatever, that that grace becomes apparent just in, in their posture. Uh, there, there was a recent issue of Backpacker Magazine. In fact, I think it was the last one where the shot was taken right at the moment where both backpackers had their back foot kicked up. Yeah, mid-step. Mid-step. It didn't quite look natural to me. <laughs> I think they posed. They posed for yeah, that? I think they were standing on one leg for that yeah, picture. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of thought the same thing too because their legs were at 90 degree angles. Yeah, like you they're... never pick up your feet that high. I don't, yeah. So, so. <laughs> hmm, take a look at that and tell us what you think. So don't overdo the, the grace. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're not on a video or on the cover of Backpacker Magazine yet. So your question was, does athleticism matter for backpacking? We can definitely see some connections. Yet on the other hand, I guess, uh, you know, if someone's out backpacking and they're not doing it gracefully, well, it's still great that they are out on the trail, right? You know, does that affect their experience? It's not a spectator sport, so it doesn't matter that someone's seeing them not being graceful. What do you think? Well, I think all of these elements really contribute to the person's experience on the trail. Yeah, I think what's cool about backpacking, and especially, say, day hiking, is that the barrier to entry is so low that you don't really need the athleticism to at least get started. And that means you have the opportunity to develop that athleticism as you go. And as you develop those abilities and that grace and and so on, yeah, I think it does affect your experience. If nothing else, it makes you a safer backpacker. And I think it makes your experience less painful, potentially, and just a lot smoother as you gain that experience. So yeah, I guess there's the fit, is that you can start wherever you are, but you can develop that athleticism as you go. I'm kind of curious to hear from some of our first 40 milers who were or who are natural athletes who've been involved in organized sports and kind of hear about maybe some of the things that have transferred from being an athlete to being on the trail and being a different type of athlete. What are some of those principles that cross over? And definitely the ones that we've talked about today, you know, optimum speed, precision, style, and grace. Those cross over, but maybe there are some other things that they can add to the conversation. Yeah, so let us know. Uh, head to Facebook or Twitter and uh, reply to the, the post about this episode or just send us a post or a tweet. Summertime is here, and we have a top five list for you that is just in time. The top five reasons to not sweat it on the trail. Now, sweating is a sign of hard physical labor, and some people wear those drops of sweat like a badge of honor. They think that the more they sweat, the more it proves to everyone that they're working harder than everyone else and pushing their limits. 
Sweating is a built-in feature of the human body, so we don't have to cool down like dogs do, you know, by hanging our tongues out of our mouths. Yeah, wouldn't that be lovely? Well, you have a lot more control than you might think over whether or not you sweat while you're hiking. And there are some great reasons to slow it down, to remove a layer, and keep shaded during your hikes to prevent excess sweating. You ready? Yeah, what's number one? Well, number one is when you sweat, you lose electrolytes. That unbalanced electrolyte level can lead to either weak muscles or muscles that contract too severely, which is also known as muscle cramping. So when you lose those electrolytes through sweating, then you might have more cramping at night and that's a common ailment for hikers. So if you can avoid sweating too much on the trail, then you'll have a decreased chance of getting all cramped up. And number two on our list is a biggie to me. When you start sweating, as soon as you stop the exertion, you cool down too quickly. Yeah, while you're doing that activity, say you're doing a really hard uphill and you just want to crush it. You just want to go as fast as you can and you are dripping with sweat. As you are working so hard, your body is heated up. And the reason you're sweating is your body is trying to cool itself down as fast as it can. Well, then when you do stop, your body is cooling down because of all the sweat. And your sweat is still doing its job. And that's great when it's in the 90s, but it starts to become dangerous when you've stopped to camp, you're drenched in sweat, and it's in the 50s with a slight breeze, and the temps are dropping fast, and you've stopped moving. Yeah, and so sweating actually flips around and becomes a hypothermia risk, just because your body is so effective at finally cooling you off once you stop the exertion. Dangerous place to be. So the number three reason to not sweat it on the trail is that sweat indicates that you may need to slow your pace. And slow is okay. Slow is better than stopped. And there's no rule that says that you have to push your physical limits on the trail. If you're doing a hard uphill and you find yourself becoming increasingly sweaty, that may be a sign for you to just take it back a notch. Pause, do some stretching, reassess the situation, and slow your pace down so that you're not sweating excessively. The number four reason to not sweat it on the trail is that animals are attracted to the salt in your sweat. I was listening to a back episode of the Kings Canyon Outdoors podcast yesterday. Uh, it's no longer being produced, but they've got a bunch of episodes that you can go back and listen to. And on episode 12, the host, Joel, was talking about marmots, and he pointed out that they are especially attracted to salt. So one time on a trip with one of his friends, uh, they left some gear out, and one of the things that got completely destroyed was his friend's trekking pole. The, uh, the hand grip, the, the rubbery soft part, got completely chewed off by a marmot. Oh, no. Because it was salty. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, oh, no. and then the friend's shirt got destroyed as well. So he, he lost like a couple hundred dollars worth of gear to a marmot. <laughs> he said at least the shirt was wool, but he felt really bad for the marmot for eating all that rubber off oh. of the trekking pole. So keep it cool. Try not to sweat too much because those salts that are in your sweat will be, uh, be chewed on by whatever local 
little rodent there is out there. Yeah, I know deer love salt licks. So yeah, yeah any animal. <laughs> well, the number five reason to not sweat it on the trail is that slow and steady wins the race. For the most part, when you're planning, you'll know exactly how many miles you'll be covering and what the terrain is like based on all the pre-trip research that you've done. And so usually there's no reason to rush. So we've run through these reasons why you might want to make sure that you don't sweat too much on the trail. And we should probably talk for a minute about what to do to minimize your sweating. I mean, we've touched on it a little bit. So obviously we've said you can slow down your pace and that helps, but I think there's more. Really one of the big things you can do in backpacking is to manage your layers. The important thing here is that, you know, you've got multiple layers on and that way you're able to quickly adjust how many layers you're wearing. And so you might start out the morning with several layers on and you immediately start hiking uphill and within 10 or 15 minutes, your body's warmed up and then it's almost too warm and you're about to sweat. Well, it's still cold outside and you just barely got started hiking and you're not thinking about that it's time to remove layers already. But it really is. Even though you're only 10 minutes into that hike, it's time to pull the hat off. It may be time to take your pack off and remove one of your top layers, uh, like a, an outer shell or something. And it's better to go ahead and make that change before you start sweating rather than after. If anything, you want to run maybe a little bit on the cool side rather than to get the sweat buildup. Yeah, and then the last thing we mentioned was uh, staying shaded. So sometimes a long sleeve shirt is actually a better option because it shades you from the sun and your, your skin's not absorbing all that heat from the direct sunlight. Uh, sometimes it's hiking with an umbrella. People do that. We covered that in episode seven. Yeah, either an umbrella or even a ventilated hat, like a wide-brimmed hat. So yeah, keep those ideas in mind. Uh, slow it down if you need to. There's nothing wrong with that. Manage your layers. Remove them early rather than late. And uh, keep yourself shaded. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Columbia Men's Royce Peak Pant. These aren't pants. This is a pant. Yeah, technically speaking, I suppose. <laughs> like we all call these things pants. But when you shop online, they're always pant. Well, anyway, I think if you pay under $40, they're pants. And if you pay over $40, they're pant. Oh. Yeah, so these are a pant. But these pants are the perfect Northwest hiking pants. And uh, we have family that lives down in Texas where it's been raining nonstop for about two months. So we could even say these pants are the perfect Texas pants. I suppose so. <laughs> but they're extremely water repellent. They're pretty slim fitting and they are durable. And since they are men's pants, I have absolutely zero experience with them, but I'm still going to run through all the data on them because I think it's really cool. Yeah, because you always pull up data that I had no clue <laughs> about, even though I'm the one wearing the clothing. Well, let me tell you about your pants. Thanks. <laughs> These have a couple trademarked things. You've got the Omni Shade UPF 50 sun protection. Uh, these have Omni Shield which actually is pretty cool because that is what repels all the moisture and stains on the pants. This is what Josh has been the most, uh, we'll just say talkative about. Every time you wear the pants, you're like, 
they didn't get wet. These yeah, aren't even my rain pants. It's amazing. Did, I'll let you save that for the trial part. Yeah, I'm going to hold off for the trial part. I'll let you get through the data. These pants have elastane in them, so they really are stretchy, which is nice when you're moving on the trail. They have articulated knees, and so every step that you take, it has that room in the knee. They're gusseted, which means they're kind of gathered. Um, so when you bend your knee, it's not tight on your knee. It's really loose. Yeah, so if you were to hold up these pants, the legs don't just drop straight down. They they bend a little at the knee. All of the pockets have mesh inside. That means that you'll never get a pocket full of water or grit. It'll all just kind of sift out. They do come in four colors, which saying them out loud sounds kind of ridiculous because they're <laughs> not real colors, but I'll say them anyway. Everblue, gravel, <laughs> grill, and tusk. And the pants that I have are green. They're gravel, I think. I'm That's sorry. gravel? Okay. Not green. <laughs> and I was hoping they came in barbecue, but they don't. Just grill. Just grill, yeah. They're 96% nylon, 4% elastane, and they do come with variable inseams. So depending on what size you are, uh, 30, 32, 34, and then the variable waist sizes, you can get them in 30 inch to 44 inch. So you just have to order your specific pant size, which I don't know why women's pants don't come like this. This is what I want. Like I want to custom order my pants and not just have it say one number on it. Oh yeah, men's sizes are so much better because we just say, yeah, my waist is this many inches around and my inseam is this long. Well, these pants are not rain pants, but they shed moisture. They also shed stains. They come with a belt, which is like a webbed material. There are no cargo style pockets on these pants, but on the right hand side, there's a discreet little zippered pocket that's the size of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I was thinking it could fit a few tater tots. Oh, yeah, that's even better. Yeah. Just stuff it with some tater tots from lunch. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think it fits my cell phone. You know, stuff like that could go in it. Okay. Is that where you put your cell phone? Sometimes. In the back pockets, I will say, if I put my wallet in the back pocket, it kind of ends up in an uncomfortable spot. I usually keep my wallet somewhere else, like in my pack, but that's something to be aware of. I like that the back pockets don't have a flap. They're just kind of a, a really discreet line, but they're you can close them with like a Velcro type closure so you don't have that uncomfortable extra fabric. Yeah, it's just an overlap over the, the top of the pocket that, that fits with Velcro. Uh, so yeah, there's no flap. Yeah, they weigh 14.6 ounces and that's with the belt. Again, these pants are only for the men folk. They do not have women's Royce Peak pant. Pant. <laughs> and for maintenance, you'll just want to machine wash cold, tumble dry on low, and do not use fabric softener. And I know there's some technical reason for that. It probably damages the uh, the repellency. Yeah, I think it does interfere with the durable water repellent finish. Interestingly, uh, washing the pants restores the DWR finish. So washing your pants is actually a good thing. I, I think after so many washings, it, it probably, you know, starts to fade away. But. Yeah, I'm wondering how DWR compares with this OmniShield. You know, they're, they have that trademarked OmniShield, it's the advanced repellency. And I wonder if it's built into the fabric or if it's just a surface treatment. 
Yeah, a coating or something that's uh, impregnated into the fabric. Oh, okay. And I'm not sure how OmniShield technically is done, but I know that it works. Um, you're going to pay between $40 and $60, depending on which online retailer or store you go to. Well, tell us about your experience. <laughs> These pants are really cool when things are a little bit wet outside. So like we said, they're not rain pants. They're not going to completely prevent rain from coming through. But they're fantastic for certain situations where it's not raining, but you're just going to be in contact with water occasionally. So like if you're walking along a damp trail and there's, you know, all the, the grass and the flowers are kind of hanging over the trail, typically you might have to wear gaiters in a situation like that to keep uh, your lower legs dry. Well, these pants work great in that kind of situation. You just walk right through and, and the water just kind of sheds from these pants. Now, eventually, after some time, it will start to penetrate, but it's amazing how well they work. These pants were really cool when I went out in uh, canoes a couple weeks ago. So I went on a field trip with our first grader to a summer camp uh, location, and I was at the canoe area. So I spent the entire day in and out of canoes. I had a blast. Anyway, one of the times coming back in the canoe, you know, we paddled up to the shore and um, I can't remember, for whatever reason, I didn't walk up to the front of the canoe and, and jump onto dry land. I just stepped right out into the water. And I was wearing these Columbia Royce Peak pants and my Zero Shoes um, sandals. And this was amazing. I stepped into the water and then just, you know, walked up to the shore. And I looked down at my pants and they were dry. It was crazy. Like, <laughs> And I gave them a little flick and beads of water just fell off. And it was so cool because I know exactly what would have happened if I was wearing jeans or khakis or something, you know, like they would have been immediately soaked. And not only that, they would have started wicking the moisture all the way up my leg. And so that was just, it was like amazing. Well, I'm sure that technology has to be built into some women's pants because now you've got me all excited to get my own pair of these awesome waterproof-ish pants. Yeah, so we should look for other Columbia products that have Omni... OmniShield. OmniShield. And see, I'm sure they make some women's pants that have OmniShield. I don't know if they use the same fabric or not because this also has a really interesting fabric. It has that the elastane in it, so it stretches. Well, some of the online reviewers had mentioned that the pants were pretty slim around the legs. So these are definitely, um, I guess, more form-fitting. They're not skinny jeans, <laughs> but but they're not really loose and baggy either, like traditional, you know, that, that cargo pant style. These are not cargo pants. Yeah, these would be, a, I guess, what you'd call a tailored style. Yeah. Um, the legs are definitely slimmer. For me, that's great because I have so much clothing that's just way too baggy on me because I'm a kind of skinny guy. And so I love having these ones where they're, they're pretty slim. And so, yeah, if, if you're uh, not as slim as I am, then these could, they could get a little uncomfortable in the thighs, I think, for some people. So you want to try them on and make sure they're a good fit for you. All right. Well, these are the Columbia Men's Royce Peak Pants. If you go to REI, they have it listed as pants. So it's oh, okay. okay. Yeah. We can call it whatever we want to. <laughs> Singular or plural. Take Come your forward. choice. <laughs> Sounds good. For today's backpack hack of the week, we have a free 
solution for you for listening to audiobooks on the trail. Some people like to have a little, you know, earbud in one ear just to kind of pass the time. I know our daughter really loves listening to audiobooks. So what we do, and you probably have this option in your area as well, our local library has access to thousands of free audiobooks. We actually go through a service called Overdrive. And when we were when we lived in Salt Lake City, I think it was Freegal. That's how you got free music. Music, okay. Yeah. But something for audiobooks. Yeah, so there's something that probably every library out there has access to where you can get free audiobooks. And we can check them out for two weeks or more, kind of depending on what settings we put on our account. And I just have a few books here that I thought I would read off the duration of, so you can kind of get an idea of how long it takes to go through an entire audiobook. Ah, all right. Yes. So if you wanted to listen to the entire Bible, the Old and the New Testament, the whole thing, that will take you about 72 hours. Wow, that's like a whole week of backpacking right there. (laughs) Exactly. If you wanted to listen to Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain, that would be seven and a half hours. If you wanted to uh, tackle something a little more ambitious, you could do Les Mis by Victor Hugo for 12 hours and 30 minutes. If you wanted to accomplish something amazing and try around the world in 80 days, that will take you a mere seven hours. Wow, that's a lot shorter than 80 days. It sure is. If you wanted to try The Fellowship of the Ring, book one in the Lord of the Rings trilogy by Tolkien, that will take you 18 hours and 20 minutes. And The Hobbit, also written by Tolkien, will take you 11 hours. Well, going through your library is a great way to get all these books for free. So that's a great hack. Uh, I'll tell you, the only reason I got a library card was just so I could jump online and get the free audiobooks. I never go to the library in person at the building, <laughs> but I always go to the library's website and pick a book to download and, and listen to. Yeah, and you never have to return audiobooks either. They just expire on your device. Yeah, no late fees. Yeah. That's great. Well, we'll leave you with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, J.R.R.R. Tolkien. There's a lot of R's in there. I think one of them was superfluous. So J.R.R. Tolkien. He said, the greatest adventure is what lies ahead. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Adding value to the show with every word. (laughs) Which makes me wonder, do cats sweat?
Oh, wow. Oh, uh, never mind. That, Cats never do work. That's true. <laughs> so they never have reason to sweat. 